When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan and we are coming to you on Wednesday, June 9th. 2021 as the Cubs come back and take two of three from the San Diego Padres out in sunny San Diego. And Brendan, we obviously have a a good bit to talk about for these three games here. Some really interesting stuff going on roster-wise for the Cubs. But for a road trip that started with three losses to the Giants, a really, really nice comeback for the Cubs to win that last game in San Francisco. They drop the opener here in San Diego. They come back and win the final two. They end the season with a 5-1 and one record against the Padres, who have all year been, you know, one of the best teams in the National League. Really, really strong end to this road trip heading into an off day on Thursday. And I think that's like the best you can ask for going to San Diego. I mean, you face Darvish, you face a lineup that's getting healthy for San Diego, and they come away with another series win. I just wanted one win going back to Wrigley against St. Louis this weekend. Just one win. So the fact they got two out of this, this this is awesome. And you saw Wisdom continuing to look really good. This is, uh, I think, best case scenario almost, Corey. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this road trip and just kind of like battling through it. And, you know, especially after uh, a tough series in, in San Francisco, just trying to survive, right? And and they've done that. You know, there's nothing at the moment that the Cubs can do uh, about the Brewers version of devil magic kind of rearing its ugly head and allowing that team in first place. I think they had a negative run differential when they first got uh, into a tie <laughs> in first place. So, it, you know, look, like we've been doing this for several years now. The Brewers are just... They 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 figure it out somehow, and it's very annoying. It's it's extremely frustrating to watch, um, but can't worry about that. The Cubs just have to take care of their own business, and they really did that in San Diego, and that sets them up really nicely. Off day on Thursday, reset everybody. You saw some guys, Wilson Contreras, Chris Bryant getting off days on Wednesday. Javi still out with that uh, you know thumb injury, so you know hopefully with the off day, those guys are rested and ready to go. And you're getting full capacity now at Wrigley Field. So with the Cardinals coming to town, you've got a chance to really create some distance there and keep this this good train going. So yeah, Brendan, I, I think they did just that. They they survived this road trip and, and winning a series against San Diego, you might say they did more than that. 
I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. I, I was seriously scared going into that second game with Darvish looming on a day game in San Diego. I was scared that they're going to get swept. And there was a side of me that's like, all right, well, if they get swept, at least we got one win. At least we're still like right there atop of the division. So they got two. And I thought Jake looked good and Davies looked good. So this is really, in my mind, th- this is more than I asked for. Yeah, absolutely. This was a, a nice end to this series and winning a couple pitching matchups here at the back end of this series against the Padres that on paper you figured to be very tough. So a nice job all around. Let me run through these three games real quick just to remind us all what happened. On Monday, it was a 9-4 to loss. Uh, not a good outing from Adbert Alzali, who does hit the 10-day injured list uh, due to a blister that he was dealing with in this game. And it showed. It was one of those games where, you know, Brendan, you're, you're not hoping for something to be wrong, but he's has not been a big walk guy he's had a lot of starts where he hasn't walked anybody he walked five guys in three innings in this game he goes three innings five hits four earned five walks and four strikeouts so you're certainly not hoping that it's an injury but it was it it was a even though it lands him on the injured list it was a sigh of relief to learn that it was a blister because a he left the game early with the trainer and we didn't really know what was going on but b it it provides some clarity to like oh okay like good because his velocity was weird he's walking way more guys than he has been all year it was scary for a minute there and so you know you hear blister you're like okay like (laughs) a few (laughs) sigh of relief there like you let that heal and not a big deal we'll talk more about you know maybe what the plan is with Adbert going forward here uh with his innings limits and obviously you know now that he's on the injured list but that was really the the story there it just you know kind of put the Cubs in a hole just not a good start there Ian Happ did hit a home run in this game as part of the Cubs getting runs. Jake Marisnik back in the lineup there with an RBI single. Serial Contra with a uh, RBI sack fly in this one to get in a run. But otherwise, it was all Padres. The Cubs not doing much damage against uh, their starter Weathers over five innings. They do scratch across three runs on five hits. Uh, he walks one and strikes out four. And that really is most of the story there. Again, nine to four was the final on Monday. On Tuesday, it was a 7-1 to Cubs win, a really nice start from Zach Davies back uh, with a former team of his, the San Diego Padres, of course. His third win of the year, six innings, one hit, no runs, two walks, and four strikeouts, so a really, really nice bounce-back win and performance from Zach Davies. We'll touch on that in a little bit. Um, the Cubs getting their runs in this one. Wilson Contreras with his 10th home run of the season. Anthony Rizzo in the sixth with a two RBI double that made it three to nothing. So it was close for a little while here, but the sixth kind of opened it up. Patrick Wisdom with his eighth home run of the season there in the sixth. In the seventh, Anthony Rizzo with his sixth home run of the year. Good to see some power coming back for Tony there. And the Padres would get one in the bottom of the ninth to spoil the shutout, but that would be all that she wrote. Uh, The Cubs do nice work there against uh, the Padres pitching staff with Lamette. He goes five and gives up four runs on four hits, so nice work there. In the finale, it was former Chicago Cub, Hugh Darvish, taking the mound for the San Diego Padres. He goes seven innings, gives up three hits, two earned runs, two walks. He strikes out eight but he takes his second loss of the year, just like we all predicted. Jake Arrieta opposed him and was 
really good in this game. Only five innings uh, on 80 pitches, but he was quite solid in this one. So similar to Davies, we had asked them both to kind of step it up a little bit, and they both delivered here against a tough Padres lineup. Five innings, four hits, one earned, one walk, and six strikeouts for Arietta. So we kind of noted that in those last two outings. Very good to see that walk number for Arietta coming down, that strikeout number coming up, and the command overall looking a good bit better there for Jake. The bullpen. Uh, anytime you have a three to one win, you know the bullpen was doing their thing today. It was Rex Brothers with a clean inning with two strikeouts. He gets the W in this one, as it would have it. Ryan Tapera brilliant in this game. Two innings of work, no hits, no runs, no walks, and three strikeouts. Really, really nice work from MVP vote-getter Ryan Tapera, and Craig Kimbrell comes in for a clean inning overall. Nothing on just just goose eggs there uh, for Craig in all the categories, but he picks up his fifth 15th save of the year. He lowers his ERA to 0.72. Brendan, yeesh, has he been good. So the Padres actually led this one one to nothing after a Machado single in the third, but it was all Cubs from that point on. The Cubs respond immediately. Jock Peterson taking you Darvish deep, his seventh homer of the year. That made it one to one in the fourth. In the seventh, it was Ian Happ getting on base, Patrick Wisdom with a single. Ian going first to third, and then it was Anthony Rizzo grounding into a double play, but that allowed Hap to score to make it two to one. And then in the top of the eighth, it was Alcantara with his first home run as a Cub. That made it three to one, and that would be all that she wrote. So as we noted, the Cubs taking two of three here uh, to finish out that uh, seven-game West Coast trip, and they finish the season series with the you know proverbial front runner, one of the front runners in the National League coming into the year, uh, the San Diego Padres. The Cubs finish the season series with a five and one record after having swept them a week ago at Wrigley Field. So you know again. And Brendan, this was a, a really nice series, a really nice bounce back from that uh, giant series. And, you know, the Cubs continuing to do it with David Ross having to kind of mix and match a bunch of unlikely guys in these lineups. But I, I think the, you know, one of the main things that jumps out to you in this series was the performance of Davies and Arietta. You and I had talked about it. Plenty of people had talked about it. You know, you sort of started to see that speculation in social media and in articles and things like that. Um, you know, of of how how long were some of these guys for the rotation? Were their spots guaranteed? Should there be other conversations if this continues for a certain stretch? All sorts of different things. You know, you never know what the the front office or the the team is actually thinking. But really, really solid performances from these two guys uh, in back-to-back games on Tuesday and Wednesday to allow the Cubs to win this series. Only one run for the Padres in both of these final games. Yeah, Davies, man, that was, I think, just visually his best start as a Cub. I don't know about the number side of it, but I was watching really closely the intent of his pitches, like where... Wilson setting up? Is he hitting his spot? Where is he setting up? And then what is he following up with? And after that first inning, I thought he settled down and looked like really, really sharp. 
He had nine whiffs with his changeup, but interestingly, his sinker, Corey, his command with that sinker was, in my opinion, the best of the year. And the intent with that pitch was to throw like belt high inside on the hands of right-handed batters. And that looked really good. He was hitting the spots and we never really saw it that much earlier on in the season. And that was somewhat of the intent in San Francisco. He just did not execute it as well. But even in SF, we talked about on the last episode, he still had 11 whiffs with the changeup. So on the year, his changeup has been fine. And if you look at the actual heat map of where he's throwing those changeups, the command this year compared to last year in San Diego, when he was at his best, it's almost no different. So his command of the changeup has been sharp and it's been effective, clearly with the whiffs. But for some reason over the last few starts in the last two months, it's been a hit or miss with that fastball command. And why that's the case, are they trying to throw Davies with his sinker in different locations in years past? Maybe. I think it's a good bet given what Hadevi and Breslow have nudged their pitchers to do with elevated sinkers. And given that we did see him go up a little bit and inside to right-handers with that sinker. So he executed. So this may be just like a transition phase for Davies where maybe this is finally the start where he gets comfortable with the new type of you know, location or sequencing. And from here on, you start to see some of the numbers normalize. Corey, that was really encouraging. I think it's a an absolute emphasis that we need Davis Davies to go deeper. And at least for, for now, this is the most confident start uh, of the season for him. Yeah, he he looked great. I think you're right. Visually, it did look good. It was it was you know kind of reminded of that start previously where he had some of those changeups working, but it ultimately you know the the full game didn't pan out. Right. You know, he had a shorter exactly. outing and stuff. But this one definitely felt more put together. And you know that that's been kind of the the thing with him is you know no one is necessarily expecting the world from him, but he's he's just been a better overall pitcher and producer. In, in the Especially past. with the command, too. Yeah. Like at least you expect him to have command, and he hasn't had that. But, you know, last start, it, it looked a lot better. Right. And, you know, so obviously in this series, he goes six innings. You know, it's a quality start. Six innings, he gives up no runs. So, uh, you know, it's it's pretty obvious to say that you would take that every time, right? Like, duh. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it doesn't have to be that good, but, but you just want him to look more like a, you know, at least middle of the rotation type solid yeah, guy you can count on each starter. time. Yeah. And it had not been completely like that for the entire year. And it, it does. It's, it's one of those things that does kind of change how you might view this rotation on the whole if you can kind of just pencil him in for a solid start every time you're out there and, you know, not worrying about whether he's only going to go four innings or something like that and Ross is going to have to kind of baby him through the uh, second and third times through the order. And, you know, this this Padres lineup is no joke. So th- this was a really nice showing for him, a really nice bounce back for him. And I'm sure for him it, it felt good to get out there against a team that traded him, right, to, you know, perform well and get his new team a W. So uh, it was a really, really nice performance from him. And for for Arietta too, that was another, I think, good rebound given what we saw in San Francisco. Now I know he had like the stomach issues or whatever, but even on the year, in this start, on his yearly average, 
velocity way up, man. So like across the board in all of his pitches, he was throwing way faster. So his sinker average, almost 92 against San Diego. That's one mile per hour faster. Slider, about a tick and a half faster. Curveball, over two miles per hour faster. And his changeup, of course, one mile per hour faster. So maybe he's feeling better. Maybe something changed for him. Uh, the one criticism and I'm being greedy here, right? Like, if this is what Jake does the rest of the season, where he can survive with 92 and, you know, get weak contact, fine, you know, sign me up. But I am being greedy, and I do wish, and I talked about it last time, I do wish there was some type of, like, location change. And I did tweet this out on Twitter that Hendricks, for example, with a sinker that averages 87, he goes up in the zone over 50% of the time with that pitch, and he's adapted over the years. And look at what he does. He gets way more whiffs than Jake Arrieta at this point. Arietta just keeps hammering the lower portion of the zone, and he still did that against San Diego. Granted, he got the weak contact, but I, I, I want to see more. So this was a good rebounding start from Jake. I think it should give you encouragement. He was able to go deeper, just like Davies did. And we need that, especially with Adbear going on the on the IL with that blister injury. But also, maybe they just start to slow him down a little bit, given the innings limit. We do need Davies. You do need Arietta to go deeper. And against San Diego, I was concerned that might be a problem, that we may go this series with more short starts, more overwhelming of the bullpen. And that was a huge fear of mine. And they were able to go out there and compete and not just compete, but like put the Cubs in the position where they came away with a series win. So it's encouraging. Still want to see more from Jake, but nonetheless still encouraging. Absolutely. This was more in line with Jake that we saw kind of in the beginning of the year. You you always want more length from the starters. Anytime you can get six plus innings, things like that, it's great because it saves the bullpen. The bullpen has been great and not having to use them too much keeps them great, right? Um, so, you know, you, you always are okay with five innings, but, you know, you, you know you, you would be greedy and ask for more. But again, for Arietta, it was only 80 pitches. And, you know, Ross was pretty careful about where they were in that Padres lineup and, you know, when he was going to be facing Tatis again, Machado, etc. cetera. Uh, so an efficient outing for Jake. He keeps the team in the game in a game where he needed to keep them in the game, right? Like the Cubs did get two across on Darvish, but that's not a lot. And you knew going in that Jake was going to have to rebound and rebound well uh, to keep the team in this game. Uh, You know, an an average type start was not going to do it against Darvish. And he did just that. He held them to one run, only allowed one free base runner with the one walk. And he gave this offense a chance to find ways to scratch across a couple against Darvish in seven innings. And they did just that. And then, you know, of course, Alcantara with the home run off of the Padres bullpen to give a little insurance. So all in all, uh, a really nice day on Wednesday for Arietta and the, the pitching staff behind him. I mean, we talk about the bullpen a lot, and, you know, we don't have to delve into them too much because, uh, I, you know, we've, we've, I think, highlighted how incredible they've been for quite a stretch here. But uh, really good stuff from Rex Brothers, two strikeouts, no walks. I mentioned how great Tapera was today, his 11th hold of the year. And, you know, Kimbrell gave up a little more contact today uh, than in some of the other outings that we've seen from him. But 
nobody cares, right? He's still filthy. He's still pumping gas and his 15th save of the year. So a really nice uh, finish to this series. I mean, this is really about as, as good of a way to end a road trip like this. And for the Cubs to start this road trip 0-3 and, and finish it 3-4 and going into this off day, coming back home, you're really thrilled with that. I mean, you really are. Uh, you you know, you, you always would love to have gone four and three or, you know, five and two, whatever, right? Of course, right? I would wish they won- never lost a game. But given where the Giants and Padres were coming into these series, no off day prior, flying out to the West Coast, a lot of these really late games, I you know, it's easy for me to stay up just because that's how I am. But uh, I'm sure some of you may have dozed off for some of these games because we were pushing midnight, uh, you know, for some of those games throughout these series. And just a really nice bounce back for this team to kind of set them up uh, to get back home and improve on things. But let's let's stop and, and talk about uh, Alzali for a second here. So, you know, we mentioned the blister. Uh, it was something that kind of developed through the game. And, you know, he said afterward that he thought he could kind of pitch around it. Um, I, I think they had done a little treatment for it to kind of like allow him to grip the ball and things like that. But obviously it didn't work. But uh, that's okay. It, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, the thing that I want to continue on, though, and and you mentioned it, and I think it was something that Ryan Dempster was talking about either in today's game or during the broadcast last night, and that is using this as an opportunity to kind of slow him down a little bit. We, I I don't know if we're positive just how many innings he's going to be able to throw throughout the year um, or exactly like what their limits and and sort of, uh, you know, guidelines are for him. But we knew coming into the year that he was going to have to be protected a little bit. He was not going to make 30 starts and throw 200 innings or something like that, just given the trajectory of his career, what he did in 2020, and all that other stuff, right? So, I think that makes a lot of sense, and 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 Dempster was was talking about this is kind of just you know first of all the fact that he's young and the fact that he is you know on a sort of pitch limit innings limit however they're going to look at it you obviously take the time and say okay well we're not even going to think about bringing you back until this blister is a complete non-issue right with other guys you might wait for them to get to a point where you can throw a little you know band-aid on it or whatever you want to do to it to get him back out there and you you work around it right we've seen guys do that plenty uh you're not going to do that here there's no reason to it also, you know, might be an opportunity to skip him a little bit in the rotation, give him a little breather, have him throwing on the side when the blister does heal and, you know, keeping his arm in shape, keep him stretched out. But you can take this time and and really ease him back into it and decide how long you, you want to take here because you're going to have to do that at some point. And, and I think, I don't remember if you and I talked about it on here, Brendan, or just uh, to each other, but, you know, there was that discussion of if the team is winning and the team is in first place and Adbert has certainly been a contributing factor to that, do you consider at some point, okay, how can we manipulate this so that he's yep. able to pitch exactly. for us in September or October if we get there? Um, and, you know, so I, I don't know that, you know, you would sit him for like two months right now or something, you know, that's obviously extreme, but the, the situation with him allows you to kind of, you know, sort of take your foot off the gas a little bit, be as patient as you possibly can with this blister and make sure that you are, you know, just being mindful of the whole schedule going forward with him. 
And you want Adber to be in position by September and hopefully October that there aren't many restrictions when he's out there on the mound. So the fact that they were able to be a little bit proactive and not really wait a day or two to IL him is is good. And I think telling of their plan with them. So even if you can get beyond, you know, four or five days and, and pitch with this blister or whatever, there, there's no reason to take that chance at this point, especially if you want that innings limit. Now, I kind of wish they just scratched him against San Diego, but that that's fine. I, I get the intent. And at least for the first few innings before he was out there, the velocity was okay. Really, the dip occurred in his final two pitches before Ross and uh, P.J. Manville got him out of there. So he was throwing still right around 93, 94, 95. The command was awful, though. And then all of a sudden, he threw a fastball at 90.5, another fastball at 90.8, and, and, and that was it. That signaled, hey, this, this blister is an actual issue. Get him out of there. And when Adbert threw his glove walking off the field, I'm like, oh no, this is this is a bad injury. I almost had a heart attack seeing that. So the fact that it is a blister, and at some point you have to consider that they would have skipped his start or two starts or three starts. Now it's not like within their you know game plan and schedule, but could have been a lot worse at the very least it is a good break for him you get to see Cole Stewart maybe get more of an opportunity Alec Mills is back we'll see how long Adber is actually not going to be on the mound but maybe Alec Mills can get a little bit more stretched out and more action so it's not a really that bad of of a thing I don't think it's going to you know deter the Cubs away from being competitive here in the immediacy the the important thing here is it just allows them to take their time like they're going to have to do this at some point to some degree and you know this is not a real like physical injury which you know obviously is a very good thing and as I said we were kind of holding our breath when he came out of the game not really knowing what was going on Uh, this is just you know something you can kind of like I said just take your foot off the gas and see where he is and and this you know may give them an opportunity to really have those conversations like okay like when do we want to bring him back what do we want to do here like how do we want to proceed forward here so uh, that is kind of the story there so good stuff from the rotation all around um you know obviously not Adbert's best outing but we know the reason and you know that was uh, pretty uncharacteristic for him you know you kind of knew something was up when the command was so off because that just is not the type of pitcher that he's been this whole year yeah, so exactly. uh switching to the offense we have some interesting stuff here uh you know just like we all predicted Brendan Patrick Wisdom is hitting third for the Cubs uh, (laughs) on Wednesday. So, you know, exactly as we all predicted, Patrick Wisdom hitting third with a 1371 OPS. Go back to our spring training pod. We both predicted that. So, you know, pats on the back uh, for both of us. Um, No, but that's been, you know, really fascinating uh, to continue watching another homer here in this series. Really something uh, from Patrick Wisdom. And, and, you know, finally, Brendan, right? Like, I feel like we always see guys like this do stuff like this for the Cardinals or the Brewers or something like that. Or, you know, it was uh, RSD Zacchino for the Reds doing it almost exclusively against the Cubs in that one season. It's nice for us to call up somebody that, you know, everybody had no expectations for that other teams had discarded and you know he's going off for us like finally what wisdom is doing is is 
quite literally unbelievable. I mean, he has eight home runs, Corey. He has a, a, a Woba of 593. And it's not as if this is all a fluke. Those home runs are missiles. And that's being reflected by an expected Woba of 500. I, I'm, I'm, I'm blown away. Now, given that he does have some whiff issues, eventually at some point, he's going to have to adjust because the league's going to adjust. But still, going through some of these numbers, it's it's even more impressive. So it's not as if he's just hitting fastballs or breaking pitches or whatever, like, you know, missed pitch locations. No, no, he's he's hitting almost everything with intent. His overall run value against all pitches this year is positive, you know? So th- this is this is remarkable what he's doing. Did he make changes? I I don't know. Uh is he going to have to adjust in two weeks? I, I don't know. But even in his last home run in San Diego, his eighth homer of the year, that was a 2-0 pitch. It was a 2-0 pitch, but it was not a fastball. Usually you see those fastballs in those, you know, behind the count at bats for pitchers. The the pitch on 2-0 was an 86-mile-per-hour sinker, or sorry, slider on the lower left portion of the plate. And Wisdom hit a missile over the left field fence. You don't yeah. really see that from like, you know, up and coming players that are young. That is a veteran mindset. And we did see Ross put him in the three hole. We've heard Ross talk about even describing Wisdom's approach as like a veteran. And I think he, he he's right. I mean, you know, who am I to say he's right? But like it does it does make sense when you see the numbers, the positive run value across the board and all these pitches, the fact that he's blasting two of sliders out of the park. You don't see young guys do this. You don't see really rookies do this. So if that's a signal that he can adjust or anticipate certain things, then maybe he can get away with having just you know a, a low contact rate. And right. that could be fine if he's in the bottom percent of the league. That's okay. If he's hitting eight homers in the sample, that's fine. And then one last point with Wisdom Corey. Zips on the year projects him to finish the season with 20 home runs in just 270 plate appearances. Corey, that that is that that's a big deal, man. So yeah, I, I think I never expected this. You know, you saw Patrick Wisdom in spring training. I, I thought it was just you know to fill rosters in in AAA. You have to play them, and especially with Bodie struggles and you know expected weighted on base average be damned or whatever. Wisdom is doing it. Wisdom is producing. He's playing yeah. quality defense. I don't see, even when Bodie comes back, and I've talked about Bodie for so long, I don't see Bodie deserving right now of this playing time if Wisdom continues even a fraction of this pace. And, you know, this is one of those silver linings. You never obviously want guys to be hurt, and it's been a shame that the Cubs have not been able to be at kind of full throttle for a while here in terms of uh, their position player group especially. But it does allow you to find some of these things out. And, you know, you're seeing, uh, you know, you've got a couple examples of this with Patrick Wisdom and Alcantara 
where you're kind of like being like, okay, we might have found some guys here. And, you know, even when guys come back, maybe their playing time takes a hit. And, you know, certainly once everyone is healthy, uh, you know, in a couple months, I wouldn't necessarily expect Patrick Wisdom to be hitting third with an OPS over a thousand, right? And that's okay. (laughs) But you have had the opportunity to give these guys some playing time and in wisdom you found someone who like you said is playing really solid defense over third he's got a a rocket of an arm and that's been and he's you know made some really nice like tough plays uh and so that's been impressive and you found a guy who yeah he's gonna strike out a lot but he's killing the ball and so even if, you know, everybody gets healthy and he's not playing all the time, but he's, you know, dropping a bomb every, you know, so often from the middle or, or back portion of the order, great, right? Like that's a, a nice guy to have to to fill in or to come off the bench, whatever. And same with Alcantara. Like he's played really nice defense at a couple positions here for the Cubs. He's got some speed. He's had some extra base hits, hits his first his home run. His too is unreal. He has a rocket arm as well. Yeah. So, you know, you've gotten the opportunity to get these guys out there and see what you have there. And I think that, you know, that's a silver lining. Again, you'd like everybody to be healthy, but it has allowed you to maybe unearth a couple guys that can be productive for you going forward. You know, while we've been kind of spending the year, you know, you're looking at, like you said, a guy like David Bodie before he got hurt, Jason Hayward, uh, you know, now that he's back, you know, a couple guys that have struggled and you're kind of wondering like, you know, how much playing time should they get? What's, you know, are, are they going to kind of break out of it? Like, what do we, you know, and it, it has allowed you to maybe have some other options if you're David Ross and say, you know what, like, I kind of need to find ways to get these guys in the lineup. But I want to uh, go to another thing here. Uh, Listen, we are not going to (laughs) listen. Uh, We're not going to rant about Eric Sogard again. Um, No. So I may may say a few things, though. There is nothing more that I have to say. Uh, like you guys know what the deal is. And, and I, I tweeted something to this effect today and, you know, like sometimes you'll get responses that are like, okay, we get it. You guys don't like him, blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, that's correct. I don't like the Cubs continuing to roster a 35 year old below average career veteran, uh, who currently has a negative 0.2 war and a 62 WRC plus. Yes, that's correct. I harp on it a lot because it's bad. It's bad process, but that's not what I'm here to do. What I want to talk about is how Ian Happ ended up at second base today, uh, a position that he has not played regularly at the MLB level since 2017. Uh, He apparently, according to Jordan Bastian of MLB.com and uh, I think Russ Dorsey of the Chicago Sun-Times, a couple of the the Cubs' uh, great beat writers, he went to David Ross and said, I am willing to play second base and take reps at second base and, you know, get back out there before the games and do what I need to do at second base if that is what the team needs me to do. Obviously, you've had KB in the outfield. Jock has, you know, hit in a manner since he came off the IL, uh, you know, several weeks ago that you want him out there every day. Um, you know, Hayward's back, Marisnik is back. So you've got your your outfield options have kind of come back and you've got them. Uh, and Hap apparently went and said, I'm willing to do this. So Brendan, to me, mm-hmm. right, to me, that suggests that whether it's Ian Hap or David Ross or somebody else, 
somebody in this organization understands that Sogard being out there every day, right? We've talked about, you know, what Sogard does and the reason that they might want him on the roster, right? We've talked about the contact rate. We get it. But him playing every day at the very least is untenable and unacceptable. And somebody in the organization understands this because you do not take a guy who has been playing center field exclusively for years now, right, and who has spent a lot of time to try and improve in center field in, in Ian Happ and move him to a position he has not played with any regularity in years unless somebody is of the belief like, yeah, like guys are hurt, you know, Javi's hopefully coming back from the thumb thing that he had mm-hmm. and, you know, Bodie's out and this and that. So yeah, injuries happen, but this guy being our main and, you know, kind of like only option at second base, if somebody else needs to play short, isn't going to cut it. So I'm yep. going to get in there and take some reps. And he have, to his credit, made a couple of nice plays there at second base. The Cubs were also, I want to give them credit before I throw it to you, Brendan, I, I want to give them credit for uh, some of the shifting that they did today because uh, Alcantara was able to get a couple of tougher balls uh, that were kind of in shallow right a little bit when they did the shift. And so the Cubs did a nice job, at least as it worked out today, of kind of, uh, you know, hiding Ian Happ a little bit on some of those shifts and on some of those little tougher plays that required a little bit more range, you know, especially Alcantara ranging to his left at second base. You know, that's not an easy play, let alone for someone who has been in center field for a couple years. So credit to the Cubs, uh, and, you know, maybe it's just luck or how it worked out with the shift, but there was a few plays where it was not Ian Happ in the position to make some of those tougher plays on the shift, and that was well executed by the Cubs to have Alcantara, the better and more comfortable infielder, at least at this moment, in a position to make those plays. Yeah, and second base too. If you're going to implement the shift a lot, we've seen it with other teams, you know, specifically even Milwaukee over the years. You saw them use Moustakis as second base or Travis Shaw as second base. Even in Cincinnati when Moustakis was there, play, play some second base on those shifts. So if you're going to be doing that and trying to like mitigate some of the potential flaws defensively, that's great. And it's this is not even to say that Hap is like an ultra terrible second baseman. He did come up through the system as a second baseman. He has familiar, familiarity with the position just because of that. And yeah, he made some decent plays when he was out there. I don't know what his overall defense is going to rate at in a larger sample. Even in 2017, when that was his like, you know, I guess regular playing time, even though he still shifted around, still a small sample, played there in 2018, 2019, under 100 innings, can't infer anything from that sample size. But visually, I think he feels fine. The one concern is just familiarity and being able to read the balls off the bat. And I think some of the quick arm action at second base on double plays might be kind of an issue, but I don't think it's going to be that bad. And we're not talking about like, you know, needing a, a dramatic improvement defensively. We just need someone who's not Eric Sogar defensively. So the, the bar is set low. It's not to say that, uh, you know, Hap is going to blow things away, but I'm, I'm confident I would bet that he's going to be at least similar defensively to Eric Sogard. And of course, with the bat, I mean, Sogard's the 
quite literally the worst hitter in Major League Baseball at this point in terms of expected numbers. The bar is set low. But when I think about half at second base, especially now with Matt Duffy's back injury and Nico Horner's hamstring injury, Nico may need more time. This is going to allow Marisnik to play more. It's going to allow Chris Bryant to get more reps in right field if they're not confident that Hayward can adjust the sliders. It gives Jock more time in left field, maybe gets more chances against left-handed pitchers, and it evens out the lineup, and I think it does so without really sacrificing any defense. Chris Bryant looked phenomenal in right field in San Diego. Played balls off the wall. Almost had two uh, outfield assists at second base on balls over his head. Corey, I- I'm not going to go that far to say he looks better than Hayward in right field at this point, but he's looking good. And Hayward's defensive value has been so uh, surprisingly underwhelming this year. So you put Jake yeah. Marisnik in center field, who's one of the best defensive center fielders in the league. I like that, giving him more opportunities. And if that's putting Hap at second base, I don't think you're sacrificing any defensive value. In fact, I think there's an argument to be had that by doing that, your defense is actually better with Hap at second base with the outfield lineup. Yeah, and if you've been listening to this podcast for a long time, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, mention, you know where I'm going, Brendan, the the same video I always talk about with Hap from spring training. (laughs) First big league camp he was ever in. I think he was talking to Sean Casey on the MLB Network. This is probably the 50th time I've mentioned this on this podcast, but (laughs) this is is part of the reason why I like this, and I think it's exemplified by him being the one to go tell David Ross that I'll go do this. He told the MLB Network that the most important thing for him was just being versatile, being a versatile player because at the time, you know, this was the, you know, the different era sort of of Chicago Cubs baseball. He was talking about how he just needed to do whatever he could to contribute to the team. And that might mean playing different positions, playing all over the field, playing a different position every game, things like that. And so I I go back to that because it's not a surprise that he's willing to do this and at least for a game, you know, made some nice plays and held his own out there and, you know, was able to take on a a pretty tough assignment that the Cubs kind of need. They need something like this to kind of allow them to get better guys into the lineup and maximize the position group they have, which is not especially well-equipped to handle several injuries at the second base position. So uh, credit to Ian for that. I, I do want to touch on Hayward a little bit. We, we've talked about this. Um, well, we've talked about Hayward's hitting at like ad nauseum for like six years, but um, just something to keep an eye on. And, and I bring it up mostly just because we're having this discussion at several positions, right? Where you have guys like Wisdom and Alcantara kind of stepping up and, and sort of shining a little bit of a spotlight onto them, raising some eyebrows about, okay, what are we going to do with this guy going forward? Like kind of warranting some more attention. Same goes for, you know, the outfield and, and stuff like that. But um, I, I do want to read this from Matt Clapp, friend of the podcast at the Blog Finds on Twitter, a great follow. Um, I'm assuming all of you follow him. He's got a lot of followers. Yeah, but um, Hayward has a 24.3% strikeout rate in 2021, which is a career worst for him. Jeez. In 2020, where his overall production at the plate was good, 
uh, it was 20.4. And outside of those two seasons, it had not been higher than 20% since 2012. Matt points out that in 2018, for example, it was 12.3%. So uh, I read that to you because at the moment, after... Wednesday's game against the Padres, Hayward has a 167 batting average and a 560 OPS. As you mentioned, Brendan, the defensive metrics do not like him as much as they have in the past, certainly not putting him in that elite, you know, kind of like top one or two right fielder in the league type territory, far below that, actually. Um, So, this isn't to you know meant to turn into you know kind of a like railing on on Hayward thing or anything like that, but I do think that that's something to keep an eye on. Um, you know, one of the things that in in the, the thread about Hayward that that Matt was writing there on Twitter, you know, he kind of points out that in the past, you know, even if the offense wasn't always great, it had improved over the last few years to be uh, I think league average and above league average in 2020 in that shortened season. But he had given pretty competitive at bats. Um, was was very you know willing to take a walk and and often had good at bats. Saw some pitches, things like that. Um, not so much in in 2021. That strikeout rate really getting up there and the at-bats are not looking quite as competitive and professional and the results are also bad. So, uh, you know, we talked about this in the last episode, you know, with Ross maybe needing to be aggressive and and kind of either guys are performing or you got to look at somebody else because you've got these guys coming up, you know, sort of from out of nowhere to a degree and, and really performing, right? So, it's it's a tough call because you know in the past we've we've seen Hayward not perform at the plate but that defense has been elite the base running has been elite and you know overall that kind of rounds into a solid level of production especially if he's hitting towards the bottom of the order uh, but at the moment you know this offense is really not great Brendan and uh, you know I think uh, again like I've I've said this at times like where you know we we spend some time kind of like railing on Eric Sogard, deservedly so. It it it's sort of only fair that we also point out the guys who have worse offensive numbers. Um, so Hayward's context with the Cubs is obviously different. He's a longtime member of this team, one of the most respected members of this clubhouse, and is coming off a couple of solid offensive years, which the same cannot be said in any of those respects for Sogard. So there's some big differences there. Um, but I, you know, I do think we kind of mentioned last time, Brendan, you're going to have to have some uncomfortable conversations with some of these guys. And I I think the reality is, if you don't start to see some better performance from Hayward, namely in that strikeout category, I think Ross is going to kind of have to seriously take a look at what to do there. Right. And I I think once you start entering the hard parts of July in terms of you know schedule and how to improve the team from trade acquisitions, there may come a point that in the not-so-distant future, you have to have an uncomfortable discussion of what to do with Jason Hayward. If you're in first place or competing with first place, do you think that Hayward can adjust the sliders within six weeks at a rate that inspires confidence for August, September, and October? Or would you rather go out there and try to get another Nick Castellanos trade acquisition for this team, who, again, is going to be competing for the division at this pace, absent of any type of like dramatic difference. 
I don't see that happening with Hayward. I don't see him adjusting that fast. It's not to say he can't do it, but his struggles this year are different from that which we've seen in years past. He was not good because he could not hit fastballs in 2016 all the way through 2018. That was the issue. And Corey, this year, he has positive run value against fastballs. What's been killing him is sliders. And you brought the point up, he's he's striking out at a 24% clip. It's because he's seen almost 50% more sliders this year. And he has the worst run value against that pitch. So it has to happen fast. We have to see Hayward showing the ability to hit sliders, not in four weeks. I'm talking like next week. A change has to be made fast because at this point, he's going to be 32. You said it on the last episode. He's not going to be part of the next great Cubs team. As, as kind of sad as that is, because he is such a lovable and likable teammate. Well, you mean, you mean next after this current one. Right. But like, we're, I mean, we're talking like maybe even, you know, next year, given how fast we see guys like Brennan Davis develop and Cole Roderer. It's, it's possible that, you know, his time is coming to an, an end. And I think you have to be aware of that realistic scenario. So there's multiple angles to look at this, but the, the primary angle for me is I don't have confidence that we can get a, enough of a sample before the trade deadline to know that Hayward can hit sliders. And because of that, I think time time is already passed, I think. I think you already have to look at improving right field, whether that's internally or seeing what you got with wisdom in the next few weeks or going outside of the of the organization and acquiring someone. That's just, you know, my opinion. I hope Hayward proves me wrong. I think it's possible he can. I just don't think it's likely at this point. So, I mean, you know, that's just kind of uh, how it's going to be. And, and you know, certainly this is, you know, kind of created when you have people performing like Patrick Wisdom and Alcantara, like we've mentioned. Uh, Matt Duffy took BP and, you know, did some running and fielding work in San Diego the beat writers didn't offer any further, you know, kind of timeline there. I think, again, you know, to taking your time, making sure everything's all right there. But uh, they, you know, Jordan Bastion of Cubs.com said that uh, I think a few of those swings in BP were pretty long home runs. So hopefully Matt's feeling good and can get himself back in there. Uh, Nico Horner also, you know, starting to do some baseball stuff. Still no timeline there. And it might be a little while, as with the others, they're going to take their time there. Uh, but good to see him, you know, starting stuff again. You know, we kind of saw that with Mariznick, uh, you know, when when he had his injury. And, you know, that's obviously just kind of a little bit of a tell that, you know, thing that the injury is not severe and it's it's not going to be something that that keeps them out for the entire year or anything like that because they're, you know, kind of quickly able to start the rehab and, and start getting themselves back in shape. So that's a good sign. Um, but it, it's, you know, again, just to say, like, it's it's going to be tough. You're going to have to make some tough decisions. And like we kind of really focused on in the last episode, this team has to get those decisions right. Um, this, this team can't succeed by getting decisions like that wrong. They, they have to be playing the best guys. They have to be maximizing the potential of every lineup, every matchup, every little thing, because they, they just don't have that, um, you know, that same like foundation, I 
guess, that they've had in, in past years. As I said in that last episode in 2016, you had a guy that was struggling. You could put him at the bottom of that order because you had Bryant, Rizzo, Zobrist, Fowler, etc., right? Just like, you know, going off. It didn't matter, right? It's it's not so much the case here. You know, we're, we're, we're still waiting for, for some of the, the regular guys to really like go off a little bit. Um, you've had these injuries and stuff, but you, you got to get these decisions right. So uh, for some of these guys, you know, looking at Hayward, at least, you know, from today's lineup, got to pick it up or at least from where I'm sitting, which is, you know, comfortably on my couch and, and not getting paid a handsome sum to be the manager of, of this team. Um, you know, it's, it's tough to justify not trying somebody else who might offer uh, a little bit more of a ceiling or, you know, potential upside at this point in their careers. So that is uh, kind of the state of things from the offensive perspective. Uh, You know, I think with the off day again, hopefully Javi is able to come back. Didn't sound like a severe thing, but just taking uh, the time there. But that would be good to get him back, and that would certainly uh, kind of open things up a little more at second base if you don't want Hap out there every day. You can have Alcantara there uh, and get Hap back out to the outfield or whatever. But we will see, uh, you know, what Thursday brings and ultimately what everything looks like uh, come Friday before the Cardinals. Yep. So with that series, there's been no starters announced for both the Cubs and the Cardinals. And Cubs, you have Adber dealing with the injury. That's influencing it. You have uh, Jack Flaherty for the Cardinals uh, injury, oblique injury. That probably has something to do with it. So instead, I just want to run through how bad the Cardinals have been for the past week and a half now. So Cardinals have not played their final game of their series, um, you know, tonight. So as it stands now, they're only 31 and 30. They, they've, they've fallen off the cliff here in the last week and a half. They're three and a half games back of the Cubs. If they win tonight, it will be three. If they lose tonight, it will be four. They've had massive struggles. Their, their lineup outside of Goldschmidt, Tyler O'Neill, and Dylan Carlson has been terrible the last eight games. I'm going to read these numbers off. Matt Carpenter in eight games, he has, uh, sorry, Nolan Arenado in eight games as a wool above 274. Edmund Sosa, their shortstop, 245. Uh, Jose Rondon, 226. Tommy Edmund, 225. Andrew uh, Knizzer, 197. Yachty, 133. He's been dealing with injuries as well. So they're really dealing with a lot of problems at this point. This is the time, I guess, to play St. Louis. You have a full capacity crowd for the first time in what seems to be forever. And you have St. Louis sort of on the ropes at at this current stage of the season. There's a realistic chance that by the time they leave Chicago, they're going to be under 500 and questioning what to do with this trade deadline. So this is a, a realistic opportunity. What we're going to have to look for is who's going to start. I know you have Cole Stewart. We need to hear more about Trevor Williams and his recovery time point. That might influence who gets his spot start coming up. And same thing with St. Louis. Who's going to start? How are they going to shape things up? Are there going to be bullpen days? And at this point, uh, given how the Cubs bullpen has pitched, they have the advantage if, if that's the case. Tommy Nance continues 
to look like one of the best Cups relievers I've, I've seen in quite some time. That sinker, that heavy curveball, that heavy slider. We saw Ryan Tapera in the finale against San Diego uh, throw two innings, went multiple innings. Andrew Chafin continues to look good. Uh, Rex Brothers looked good. And that's the story of the 2021 Cubs at this point. It's the bullpen is carrying them, and they might have to do so uh, this weekend. And if that's the case, I, I feel pretty good about our chances. Yeah. So as we sit here, it's about 7.30 in Chicago on Wednesday night. The Brewers losing 5-1 to one to the Reds. So hopefully that holds. That would put the Cubs back in, uh, you know, half a game sole possession of first place. Uh, and the Cardinals already losing 2 to nothing. Uh, to the Indians in the top of the first. So, you know, again, early on, only 7.30 here in Chicago, those night games just getting underway, but uh, a good start to those scores. And yeah, Brennan, I mean, look, like, you know, it's it's only June, um, so difficult to really bury a team, but you've got an opportunity to put some real distance between you and yourself and the uh, St. Louis Cardinals here. They're 2-8 and eight in their last 10, pending what happens tonight. Um, so you've got a chance to really kind of lengthen that gap, and, and that would be very nice. You, you have to figure a team like the Brewers, the Reds, the Cardinals, somebody, right, is going to stick around with you. If you're able to keep playing well, you know, someone is going to hang around. We've just seen that kind of the last several years in the NL Central, and we figured that going in. Um, but if you can do your best to widen that gap with one of them on your own by, you know, just taking care of business at home. That's a really easy way to do that. So yeah, uh, just kind of hoping more guys get healthy, really hoping Javi's back out there and and feeling okay. You know, some of that hand thumb stuff is always kind of tricky. But uh, hopefully that is all right, and he's able to get back out there. And, you know, otherwise, just uh, hoping it's a a fun, you know, rocking weekend. I mean, this would be a really good... You know, you've got Wrigley going back to full capacity. You've got the St. Louis Cardinals. You may, depending on how this all shakes out, have the Cubs coming into the weekend in first place at the very least, very close to first place, having finished off this road trip with a series win. It's just a really nice opportunity to win a big series, feel great at home, have the crowd going nuts, and, you know, hope you can kind of just like ride that wave into the rest of this month. You know, the schedule continues to be a little tough, uh, but the Cubs have done a nice job of navigating it thus far. So hopefully they can have a good weekend here, enjoy their off day on Thursday. You guys enjoy the off day as well. It's it's a it's a taxing season. We're not players, you know, we're not part of the team, but you know, we're all on this ride together. So enjoy your off day, you know, get your uh light work in, stay in shape, but you know, uh enjoy the off day. And especially after this this West Coast trip, Brendan, I know you're out there on the West Coast, but uh, everybody in Chicago, at least, has been staying up late, you know, grinding it out to to support the boys, support the Chicago Cubs. So get a little sleep on Thursday, get back to Central Time, and uh, hopefully this is uh, an exciting weekend there. You know, they're billing it as opening day 2.0 on Friday, 120 Cardinals, full Wrigley Field. Really doesn't get any better than that. Uh, the only way to get it better than that is if the song is being sung and the flag is being flown atop Wrigley Field at the end of all three of these games. So uh, let's hope for that. Let's keep getting these guys healthy and and keep winning ball games. It's a fun baseball team right now. It's been a weird season, but this has been uh, a fun one, a unique but fun season so far. So let's keep those good vibes 
going. I think that is all we have for you. As always, we thank you guys for listening to the Cubs Related Podcast and supporting the Cubs Related Podcast. We will talk to you after the Cubs and Cardinals finish up on Sunday night live from beautiful and historic Wrigley Field. And uh, other than that, thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Cubs.